Hi, this is Lisa and Jason from the Designated Quizzers Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes, and while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now, it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 232, Splash Movie Review. Chris McBrien along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now last time out, Derek and I held a pop culture fantasy draft for the year 1983 where we each drafted a team of three movies, three TV shows, three songs and a personal pick all from the year 1983 and we are going to announce the winner shortly. And then I nominated the movie Splash from that year to be our movie review uh, but before we get to all that, Derek, what pop culture have you been able to get yourself into this past week that you could share with us, my friend? Well, I had a chance to watch a lot of stuff, uh, nice. m- more stuff than we probably have time to discuss here. So the ones we'll, that we'll were not, the, co- we'll do the, the shortened version, I guess. Yeah. As I was gonna say, the ones that are not great, we'll just sort of skip over. Uh, I'll, I'll mention them, give them a thumbs down and we'll move on. But uh, you'll be happy to know that I do have a documentary, which I'll end with. So um, a lot of stuff. Me. Yes, a lot of the stuff I watched is relatively new, like within the last five to ten years, most of them within the last five years. So I, I guarantee you have not seen any of them. Uh, and then I got a classic. So I'll, I, okay. I'll, end with, I'll end with the classic and the documentary. Oh, so I'll I do like, the other stuff first. I like where this is All going. Right. Okay. Yeah, I figured you might. Okay, Educate so me on the new stuff, though. First. There we go. I so need to know. On one of our previous podcasts mm-hmm. in the trivia section, you asked me questions about wrestlers appearing in movies. Oh, yes, yes. And one of the one of the questions that I got wrong was the movie that featured Stone Cold Steve Austin. And the movie was The Condemned. Mm-hmm. And it's where 10 uh, hardcore criminals that are on death row are put on an island and they're basically told... Whoever is the last man standing in 30 hours will get their freedom. Yes, so, I think I remember you were like, that sounds kind of cool. It does sound pretty good. And then <laughs> I our, could watch you know, that. <laughs> my, my good, my, you know, our good friend, Greg Martin, he uh-huh. reached out to me a little after and he sent me the link and he sent me the poster and he goes, if you're interested, here's where you can find it. All so right. I watched it this week and it was exactly what I expected it to be. It was it, it was fun, but it was bad. But like some of the camera work was just awful and the acting was terrible. Of course. But it was fun. It was exactly what I expected it to be. The Condemned? So, uh, Is that what it was? The Condemned, oh, yeah. Okay. Like yeah. It's, it, it's a certain kind of movie and it appeals to a certain kind of audience. And it just it got me right in the right place at the right time. Perfect. So, no, I, I actually enjoyed it. But it, it was it was very middle of the road. Like it, it's not winning any Oscars. So so there was that one. Um, one of the more recent uh, comic book movies that came out, I think about this time last year, was a spinoff of the Spider-Man franchise, of, of the Venom franchise called Morbius. Uh, in the comic books, Morbius is a vampire, but not your traditional like sunlight kills me kind of vampire. He's like a special vampire. And uh, so they gave him his own movie, but they don't have Spider-Man in the movie. It's just here's this character. And uh, Jared Leto plays the title character Morbius. 
and it it was awful. It was really bad. It was uh, let me put it this way: it was about as good as the Venom movies, and they were pretty bad. So, yeah, you're not missing anything if you if you haven't had a chance to see Morbius. But it was on the cable, so we watched it and no cost and that was two hours of my life i'm never getting back so there there are some bad comic book movies then and that's coming from a comic well, book fan you you like y- those comic book movies there are bad movies this isn't mm-hmm. officially part of the mcu though this is part of the sony franchise spin-offs um so I, I had very low expectations and it did not even meet those so pff, stinker right. um watched a, a, a slightly older movie that i think we talked about on one of the previous podcasts the one where we did die hard i, I in the trivia i had you name i would say like die, you know what movie is die hard on a plane die hard on a boat yes. die hard yeah. on a and one of the questions i had for you was die hard at the white house and the movie that there were although there were two answers one of the answers was olympus has fallen and i so i rewatched that and it's got um Gerard Butler as the Secret Service agent who saves the day. And they've made two sequels. They did Olympus Has Fallen, London Has Fallen, and Angel Has Fallen. And there's a fourth one they're making right now. So I, I haven't even heard of any of these things. Yeah. So I went back and I rewatched Olympus Has Fallen, and it was good. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I can understand why it got a sequel. I remember the sequel being just okay, and I, I never got around to watching the third one. So I'm going to watch part two and part three this week, and I'll let you know on our next show how they were. But okay. Olympus Has Fallen is a good revisit for me, so I enjoyed that. Nice. Um, had a chance to watch the latest offering from M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, let me tell you, he's he's fallen hard from grace after The Sixth Sense. <laughs> he's had a few decent movies, but he's had a lot of stinkers. Uh, I watched the movie called Old. came out last never, year, the year before. Heard of it. The, the premise is that these people go on vacation and they end up on this secluded beach and they realize that they're aging one year for every half an hour they spend on this beach, but they can't leave the beach. And so it's this combination of like spooky, like thriller, what's happening, who done it kind of thing. It got sort of middle of the road reviews. So I, I was quite skeptical coming into it, but I actually liked it a lot. I thought the ending was satisfying. That's people are like, oh, the ending sucked. I'm like, I thought the ending was good. I really liked how they ended the movie. And uh, this one is, I would sort of give like a marginal recommendation. If you, if like me, you can get it on HBO, Crave, Amazon, whatever. I can't remember which one I watched on. I think it was on HBO. If you can get it at no extra charge, give it a try. I, I enjoyed it. I so. feel bad for him because, I mean, he really peaked with his first movie. And then mm-hmm. everybody was expecting, you know, this twist ending on everything else he did. And just that's tough to follow up on. Yeah. And, well, this is a good segue. I was listening to a podcast earlier this week. And they, as many of uh, many podcasters do, you invite other podcasters onto your show to network and cross pollinate sure. and try and build an audience. So one of my podcasts, they had guests on from uh, to try and help them pump their show. And the show they that they have is called the blank check podcast. And the premise is each season, they pick a, a famous movie director that like had immediate success out of the gate. And Hollywood basically just gave them a blank check from that point forward and said, go ahead, do whatever you want. And then they explore over the course of numerous episodes, how the subsequent career, how the subsequent movies and how that director's career played out. And they said their first season was M night Shyamalan. Cause they're like, he hit with the sixth sense. And it's like, okay, dude, we're just going to keep giving you blank checks. And then they, they talked about it. So Anyway, I thought the timing was just coincidental that I just watched that. And then these guys were on this other podcast. Uh, OK, what else? We, I'm going to run through a couple real quick. Sure. Uh, I watched one on a, a couple actually on Netflix. One uh, just came out last year. It's called The Guilty. And it's with um, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, who we just watched in Source Code. Oh, right. uh, this this one was shot during COVID. So Jared, uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays a 911 operator. And the whole movie takes place in the 911 office. And it's all about him on the headset talking to people. And he has a 
early in the movie, a kidnapped woman calls through. And so he's like trying to help her by sending people to different places to try and intercept the kidnapper and stuff. It was an interesting exercise, but after it runs 90 minutes, I got about halfway through it and I'm just like, ah, I'm done. Uh, it was directed by Antoine Fuqua who did training day. He's got a, he's got a really decent resume, but he's more like directs action movies. So this one, which was just a lot of talking, I think it didn't just work. The pieces were there, but they didn't really come together. So if you see the guilty showing up, I'd give that one a pass. Then we watched one with, called Night Hunter with, um, uh, oh my God, I can't remember, Henry Cavill, who plays Superman in the new, uh, the DC movies. Okay. And so we saw his face and of course we're like, oh, he's pretty, let's watch this. It's also got Ben Kingsley and we're like, yeah, let's give it a chance. It was okay. It was, uh, um, again, it was this police thriller one where where this, this guy's kidnapping women and then they capture him, but the women keep disappearing. It's like, what's going on? And it's sort of this whodunit thriller. Again, it was sort of middle of the road, marginal recommendation on that one. Um, it was just okay. Uh, and then I got, I got a, a really good classic for you. I had a chance on your reco based on, again, a pre, oh man, I, you can tell me, listen to the old episodes. I watched the podcast. We or listen to the podcast we just did on movies about movies yeah. or TV. Oh, and yes. I had a chance to watch the movie, my favorite year, which oh, you had man, a, from 1982, Richard Benjamin. I recommended that one to you. What'd you yes. Think? So, I loved it. It was oh great. 10 out of 10, two thumbs up, four stars. It was fantastic. Peter O'Toole, never been better. Uh, I watched this movie on my phone on my way to and from work on the subway. And basically when I got off the subway, I knew I only had about 10 minutes left. So I just got off the train, got to street level and just sat there and watched the rest of it. Like I just was mesmerized. I had to see how this movie ended. It, it was really good, really strong. It definitely... You could tell it was a movie from the 80s, just the way it's paced. But no, it worked really well. I was very, very glad. It takes place in 1956. Yeah, the early uh, 54, 55, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, I thought the name of the movie was a little bit of a misnomer. Like, I didn't really think that it worked. Like, that would have been my only thing I would have changed was I would have probably come up with a better name for the movie. But but no, the movie was great. And the guy from Perfect Strangers, who uh, Cousin Larry from Perfect Strangers. He was fantastic. He was How this guy ended up just being dumped into sitcoms was beyond me. He was really good. He was so, good. Yeah. And, so, I'm really uh, glad you, because I mean, I have, I've had other people watch it over the years and they didn't like it. I had my wife watch it a number of years ago and she's like, I don't like this movie. But I think you have to be like us where we really like pop culture and we appreciate what goes on behind the scenes, you know, in pop culture. And in this case, a live TV show. But it's more than that. It's about what it's like when you meet your heroes and maybe they're not exactly what you thought they were or maybe they're exactly what you thought they were and it just oh the story is so good the characters all of the characters in the movie and like rookie karoka Karoka, i fight serpent today and tear him apart like it's so oh so many i've always felt that was a very special film because it's very well directed it's very well written it's very well acted and it's special on a lot of different levels. So I'm really glad to hear finally somebody that I recommend it to. They actually liked it. So yeah, it was it was on the Turner Classic Movies. I couldn't find it on any of the streaming services, but it happened to be on, and so I recorded it a couple of weeks back. And finally, had a chance to watch it was really good. And then um, finally, I had a chance to watch a documentary. For forty days and forty nights, watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Documentary. What did you learn about the world this week? I learned all about GameStop. 
So there are two different documentary series that are out right now. They dropped like within a couple of days of each other about the whole thing where the GameStop stock shot up to $500 a share when they thought the company was going to go bust uh, earlier this year in January. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I was sort of marginally following it when it started to hit mainstream media, but I didn't really know much about it and I didn't know what had happened since then. So the one I watched was on Netflix. It's called Eat the Rich, the GameStop Saga. It's three episodes and they're about 45 minutes a piece. And it it was like documentary should be. It was educational. It, it, it gave me the knowledge of like what was happening, what caused the stock to drive up, how regular people and people through social media, the Reddit groups could, could well, I'm just going to say manipulate, but that word has such negative connotations. But they did. They were able to affect the stock price by doing certain things that the market was unable to predict or rather that were contrary to what the analysts that had all these years of experience were predicting and therefore a lot of companies were potentially going to lose a lot of money and uh yeah there were definitely some shenanigans that went on but a lot of people made a lot of money just by um just by basically trying to make the big big companies get screwed Rude. And uh, no, it was interesting. But then, the, so this one was on Netflix. I believe there's another one. I think it's on Amazon Prime, also about GameStop, which I haven't watched yet, but it's one 90 minute documentary. And I believe Kieran Culkin is the narrator on that one. Cause I talked to somebody this week and said, Oh, I watched the GameStop documentary. And they're like, Yeah, so did I. And then when we started talking about it, we sort of knew different details. And then I realized, Oh, we watch different different movies. So I'm going to go back and watch that other one on Amazon this week just so that I can sort of get two two perspectives on the same uh, on the same story. But no, it was interesting. It was uh, it was educational. So that one I would definitely recommend, um, you know, again, if, if that sort of subject matter interests you, if you don't give a crap, then, you know, don't waste your 90 minutes or two hours or however long the three episodes ended up being. Well, thanks again for educating me on all this the newer stuff and then watching a classic too. But I'd just like to take a minute and talk a little bit about the streaming services. So most people gravitate to the big ones, you know, like Netflix and Disney Plus and Amazon Prime, those sort of places. But I'd like to talk about a few diamonds in the rough that I've discovered lately. Now, Derek, as you may or may not know, I like Gen X pop culture a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's all I watch. Yeah. So, that, so, worst kept secret on the podcast. <laughs> for anyone else out there that loves old Gen X stuff, movies and TV shows, there's a few of the lesser known streaming services that I think you need to familiarize yourself with if you haven't already. So there's the Roku channel that has a bunch of old movies on it. I found 9 to 5 and also Titanic 2 is on there, which I thought was really interesting. We've talked about that on the podcast before. They made a sequel to Titanic, apparently. Um, Tubi is another one that I, I, I started to explore, and I found on there Too Close for Comfort. Remember the old oh, show? Ted Knight? Yeah, Ted Knight and, and uh, Nancy Dussault. It, I was watching it on there. I was like, oh, this was pretty good. And then probably my favorite one is, is called Zumo. I think it's, that's how it's pronounced. It's X-U-M-O, Zumo. And the reason why I liked it so much is I found just one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid. It's called Kill and Kill Again. It's from 1981. So basically, work with me on this. It's it's this low, low, low budget movie from South Africa about a team of martial arts guys that, you know, try and rescue this kidnapped doctor from this totalitarian guy named Marduk. 
and he's using like a mind control drug to try and take over the world. It's it's so bad that it's good. And I originally saw this movie in the movie theater when I was like 11 years old. It, I remember it was a double feature. There was Kill and Kill Again and Blood Beach. These two kind of B movies. And as an 11 year old, I really liked this movie, Kill and Kill Again. And I just rewatched it recently on this Zumo thing. Oh, it was just chock full of nostalgia for me. It was just so, so, so good. So, if you get the chance to watch Kill and Kill again, just watch it. It's, I just can't even say enough about it. So, well, let me t- let me tell you those that the movie I talked about earlier, The Condemned. Mm-hmm. I had to watch it on the Roku channel. Well, there you go. Yeah, that was the only place I could find it. But, um, but like I said, these these sort of streaming services, like the lesser known ones, they are an amazing source of older Gen X stuff, like movies, TV shows, especially some of the more obscure ones that mm-hmm. I really love. So. Anyway, I just I wanted to share that with everybody. Okay, I also want to share this. Here's your dad joke of the week. So, Derek, since we're doing the movie Splash this week, I thought I'd do a mermaid dad joke for you. Okay. Oh. So, is Derek, this going to be a PG version, or, or is this going to be a we'll see a bleep version? Okay. Uh, so, Derek, what does a mermaid use to wash her tail? I, I'm afraid to ask. I don't know, Chris. What does she use? Tide. It's not where I thought that was going, and uh, I'm glad. Calm the ocean. Calm the ocean. Calm the ocean. <laughs> it, there's a lot of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He's Smokey and the Bandit oh. shirt for you. <laughs> so, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. Boof from Teen Wolf. Hot as a pistol. Wow, I know. That's pretty amazing. I'm a big Dungeons and Dragons nerd. It's a shock that you never got more girls in high school. <laughs> Calm blue ocean. Calm blue ocean. Calm blue ocean. I don't know if that's a lot to unpack, Chris. I'm going to give a second here. <laughs> so before we get to our movie review, uh, the last time that we recorded a show, we held our pop culture fantasy draft for the year 1983. So, Derek, you and I each drafted a team, like we said, of, of movies, TV shows, and songs, and a personal pick. Do we need to run down the list? To, you, no, I think we're good. We're good? Okay, yeah. so we, we put together our list, and then we sent them off to our esteemed panel of judges. And they rendered a verdict. And are you ready now for the winner of the draft? Fire away, man. All right. The winner of the 1983 Pop Culture Fantasy Draft and the new owner of the Funko Fonzie Trophy. Congratulations, my friend. The comeback you, is on. I'm telling what, you. Uh, what was the breakdown of the votes? Six to three. Wow. Okay. So, so yeah. a vast majority of the judges felt that you drafted the better team. Which, nice. Which clearly goes to show that our judges. Wow. You kiss your wife with that mouth, eh? Okay. So if you think about it, that leaves us one more year from the 80s to draft for 1987. It also means that our overall vote so far is five to four in favor of me with one year left. So you can pull out a tie in this thing. Honestly, I, I, I was positive I had the last one down pat and I ended up losing. I kind of was hoping to be up five to four coming into this, but four, four to five, I hope for a strong finish. I'll, you know, I think a tie would be perfect because, you know, we both bring different things to the table and... Yep. uh you know, it's sort of 
we're equally good instead of one of us clearly being better than the other. So now that I've said that, I better at least tie it up. <laughs> so, well, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. We'll draft for 1987. But in yeah. the meantime, we each need to pick one movie from our draft year for us to review. So I started things off by nominating Splash. So Derek, you obviously had seen the movie Splash before, but had you seen it recently before oh. you just watched it like over the last week? No, I, I, I definitely saw it in the theaters when it first came out. Okay. And you would have been young, right? I would have been really young, yeah. Um, I definitely saw it in the theater when it came out, and I probably saw it on a home video, I would say, in the late 80s. And that's probably it. I don't think I, I think that was probably the last time I saw it. So, go, you know, having to go back and watch it this week, well, what were your initial thoughts on the movie before we dive in? Well, it? I didn't really have a fond memory of it. Like, I remembered it being okay, but not loving it. Mm-hmm. And so... I thought, well, maybe I was just really young because I find with a lot of those older movies, especially movies that are not kids movies, but I watched too young, as as we've already talked about on previous podcasts, a lot of movies we watch way too young. I found with a lot of those, when you go back and revisit them, the more mature themes can sort of you understand them better, or at least I understand them better and I can get more out of it. And there was definitely a little bit of that going on with this movie where there were certain things. Where I'm like, oh, that's what that was about or this is what was going on here. But Honestly, I, I didn't really love it. Um, I, I mean, I didn't dislike it, but I, I, I didn't love it. Um, it. It had some things that I enjoyed and it had some, you know, redeemable qualities. But there was a lot of stuff that I just sort of went, meh. Uh, you know, it was it was I, I felt it was very middle of the road. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. I, you know, we can talk about some of the highlights of the, of the highlights and the lowlights. But, um, yeah, it's it's just not one of those ones that holds a special place in my heart. So. Uh, watching it again, it didn't didn't wow me. But honestly, I, I didn't expect it to. Um, I was I would have been more surprised if I if I came out of it this time around going, oh, my God. And like, how have I not watched this in 35 years? And now I'm like, no, I'm good for another 35, I think. Well, I mean, we're going to disagree on this because I think this movie is great. But I do want to say full disclosure that I, I actually screwed up. So I listed Splash as a movie from 1983 and it's listed on IMDb as a 1983 release. And that's why I put it on my, my list of my draft. And then that's why I picked it in the draft. But in reality, the film was actually released on March the 9th, 1984. Really? Yeah. So like I, I picked it. Can't believe everything you read on the internet, man. Oh yeah. There it is there. Maybe that's why I lost the draft, you know, or I can just stick with my original view that the judges. But anyway, I, I regardless, we're going to go ahead and review this movie anyway, even though I we screwed it up. So coming into this most recent viewing, I, I unlike you, I had very fond memories of this movie. I saw it in the movie theaters as well when it first came out in 1984, not 1983. I liked it then and I really liked it when I rewatched it on VHS during the 80s. And I still like it now, having gone back and rewatched it, you know, in the, in the last week after all these years. So a common movie convention is the old fish out of water story. You know, oh, I see what you did there. You know, you know, they take a character and they, you know, they put them on where they're out of their element. And this movie is literally a fish out of water story, obviously, where this regular guy, Tom Hanks, falls in love with a girl only to find out that she's a mermaid. You know, it's to you can look at it and say, like, this is an outlandish concept and stuff. But, you know, I would throw it back and say that a lot of these movies that are out nowadays with these, you know, these MCU movies, they're outlandish concepts. In this case, it's a fun outlandish concept. 
You know, and I thought it was very well done. I think it works as a fantasy movie. It works as a comedy. It works as a rom-com, at least in my opinion anyway. Let's break this movie down a little bit, okay? So it was directed by Ron Howard, known to most Gen Xers, at least at me, as Richie Cunningham. And it stars Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah, John Candy, and Eugene Levy. It was made on a budget of $11 million. It grossed $70 million, which was good for the 11th spot at the box office that year. We've talked about this before. 1984, pretty strong year for movies. Like it was yeah. pretty good. Ghostbusters was at the top at $230 million. And then there was uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Gremlins and Karate Kid and Police Academy. Um, so Splash, like I say, finished 11th. One thing that really jumped out when I was looking at the box office from 84, The Terminator finished in 21st spot with $38 million at the box office. It was outgrossed by Breakin'. Not even Breakin' 2 Electric Boogaloo, but Breakin'. And Terminator has ended up going on to become this like iconic 80s film, but it wasn't a big hit when it came out. Revenge of the Nerds was at number 16, just ahead of Breakin'. But, nice. um, but Splash was a hit. It was a hit with audiences. It was a hit with critics. It was actually nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Sorry, we're still talking about Terminator now? Or the no, Splash, you mean? No, Splash was nominated for Best uh, Screenplay. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was nominated for... I mean, it lost uh, to uh, Places in the Heart, but it was up against Beverly Hills Cop, Broadway Danny Rose, The North, and then and then Splash, this movie. And it was also... The, the screenplay was nominated for a Writers Guild of America Award, a New York Film Critics Circles Award, and it won the National Society of Film Critics Award for Best Screenplay. So, I don't know, I guess the... The script must have been okay, at least. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I. So you talked about it being an outlandish premise. Honestly, I got no problem with the premise. I thought that the the execution of the story was fine. Uh, that that wasn't really anything I, I took issue with. Um, you know, I, I felt that. I think it's one of those things where because this was. Uh, I don't want to say trailblazer because that's that brings too much to the table. But this is sort of. There has been so much that has come after this movie, uh, regardless of the genre, both like as as a fantasy film, as a romantic comedy film, as a you know movie with a mermaid, special effects, that kind of thing. So many movies have come since then, and so much advancement has been made in the way we make movies that I think I'm watching this older movie and I'm just I'm noticing like some of the clunkiness and and the the just the way some of the story comes together. And that's not necessarily a fault of the movie as much as Howard was sort of trying to do something that hadn't been done. He's trying to tell a story in a certain way. And I think because it's, it's, it wasn't something that you had seen every day and it had that originality to it. Um, you know, you're the first one out of the gate. And then anytime that it's sort of been borrowed and leaned on and other people have, have said, well, we want to make this sort of like splash, but, take it in a different direction, uh, you know, maybe as a romantic comedy kind of film, they've, they've tried to improve upon it. And I think that was part of where my, my critique of it came from. I just, I don't know. I, I felt that it, it suffered too much from being an older movie, which is not to say that I want them to remake this. Although I think I read somewhere that they have been trying to, um, well, I mean, they did the little mermaid, which I guess was again, probably came from some of the same inspiration. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, they were both obviously, you know, based on Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid, right? So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well, I did read that 
apparently when they were doing the Disney cartoon, the little mermaid was originally supposed to have blonde hair, but they were worried that people would draw a connection to yep. this movie. So that was why they changed it to red hair. And then yep, they liked the way sense. it looked. Yep. Yeah. I was like, Oh, well, you know, so not, uh, not without its influences. So this um, screenplay was actually written by Lowell Gans, Babalu Mandel, uh, Bruce J. Friedman and Brian Grazer. Uh, Bruce J. Friedman also did stir crazy, but Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel, they were, they were like this writing team. They worked together a lot. Like they did the screenplay together for Spies Like Us mm-hmm. and Night Shift, which was a personal favorite of mine. And they also did City Slickers and A League of Their Own. And both of them actually make cameos in this movie. So Gans plays the the, the tour guide. Remember at the scene at the Statue oh, of Liberty? Oh, at the Statue yeah. of Liberty? That's, that, that was Lowell Gans. And then Bubba Mandel plays the guy in charge of the, the ice skate rentals who tackles Tom Hanks' oh, yeah. character. When he Those skates are rentals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, but anyway, I thought the writing was very good. I thought that was definitely yeah. Part. No, I did too. So another aspect is the direction, and we really need to talk about this. So this was Ron Howard's third feature film as a director because he had done Grand Theft Auto and then Night Shift, which I loved. And mm-hmm. obviously, this is a guy who went on to have a long career in Hollywood as a director. He won a Best uh, Director Oscar in two thousand and one for A Beautiful Mind. But like I like I mentioned before, older Gen Xers like me, uh, we always remember him as Richie Cunningham. From Happy Days, but yep. uh, but I I thought his you, you mentioned it was kind of clunky. I thought his direction here in Splash was really good. I think he keeps the story moving. He kind of steps back and just lets the story kind of flow, and I think he gives a nice balance of comedy and drama, and he gets good performances. I think out of the entire cast. So, yeah, no, I agree. What do you think of uh, Ron Howard as a director, both in this movie and I guess just generally overall in his career? Oh, I like him. I, I mean, he uh, he's done a lot of movies that I've really enjoyed, but I find that from time to time he tackles a subject that I'm just not really, you know, in love with. So it's like, eh, like uh, Backdraft's a good example of that. Like it's a movie about firefighters, it, not a topic that interests me. So I've never seen it or I've watched parts of it. And the people I know that did watch it went, eh, it was just okay. But then like Apollo 13, I loved it. I thought I think the movie's fantastic. I could watch that movie all day long. So, you know, he's definitely uh, he's definitely come into his own for sure. Right around the time that he made this movie, he was actually offered uh, both Mr. Mom and Footloose to direct. And nice. he turned them both down so that he could direct this movie, Splash. Um, another thing about him, he always has his brother Clint Howard do a cameo yeah. in his movies. Always. Yeah, I caught that and, right away when because he, he's right at the beginning. Yeah, he yeah, right at the beginning when he was the, like the wedding guest there. The wedding guy, yeah. And I remember him in Night Shift. He was like one of the kids in the morgue. Uh, and he gave his dad, Rance Howard, a small part in this movie as well. He was the guy that was um, upset about the rotten cherries at the warehouse. Oh, is that who that guy was? Yeah, okay. Dad, so I recognized um, him, but I couldn't place him. I'm like, oh, I've seen that guy in other yeah. things. So let's talk a little bit, a bit about the cast. I think it's more. So Tom Hanks, obviously the millennial generation knows Tom Hanks as this massive movie star. You know, he's, he, he reminds me now of like this everyday kind of guy. He's like the Jimmy Stewart of his generation. Mm-hmm. But I think if you go back a bit, like Gen Xers like me, we know a slightly different Tom Hanks. Like before he was winning Oscars for Philadelphia and Forrest Gump and stuff, you know, and being in movies like Saving Private Ryan, he was a comedy actor doing stuff like Bosom Buddies and Family Ties and Bachelor Party, you know, and Big. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could argue, we've talked about this before, you could argue Big was his first sort of foray over to doing roles where he was taken a little bit more seriously as an actor. But prior to that, he mostly just did comedies. So 
Derek, you 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 know you really like a lot of the newer movies and stuff too. So you've had a chance to to see a lot more of Tom Hanks' career probably than I have. But what do you think of him in this movie? Did you? Oh, he was he was great. He was the best thing in this movie yeah, by, I thought by he far. Was really good. And and one of the things that um, like I can remember watching a lot of stuff about the movie Toy Story over the years, mm-hmm. and I remember one of the things they talked about was how good Tom Hanks is when you give him prompts. And they said you wouldn't think that a voice actor's voice performance would change based on what they're holding in their hands, but they found that when he was doing the the Woody voice. They would give him various props in scenes where where the the Woody doll is supposed to be interacting with things, and they said they got a way better performance out of him because he was just so good with the props. And so there's this there's a couple of scenes where he does things with with props around the the, the set, and I, I kept thinking to myself, I wonder how much of that was a deliberate choice, and how much of that was him just sort of I'm just going to pick this like the scene where after he first meets Madison and he comes back to work and he's singing, and then he like starts juggling with the potatoes and he's picking the mango got the mango on my shoulder yeah Yeah, like like just those little things or even when they're in the they're playing racquetball and he's like just goofing around with the racquetball uh um racket and he's uh he's john candy gives him the beer and he puts in his pocket like just there's a few little scenes like that where it's it's not the focus of the scene like there's dialogue and there's stuff happening related to the plot but just little things that he does where he like picks up something or he handles something or he touches something. And in a way that as I watched it, I just thought to myself, I'll bet you that was Hank's a choice that he made to do it, whether he asked ahead of time or whether, you know, Ron Howard was like, why don't you just improv it a little bit? But yeah, no, I, 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 I that to me was just sort of like, you're getting a glimpse of the Tom Hanks. that's going to go on to win two Oscars when you watch so, this. So like, do, I, you have a, do you have a preference then like of the more, you know, uh, serious actor, Tom Hanks later in his career or do you like his older comedy work? I think I like his, uh, I, I, I like his, uh, later stuff better. I like his dramatic work because I find, and this, you see this all the time where a, a comedian who starts off many times, even as a stand-up comic who then gets into acting and then actually gets a chance to do dramatic work ends up being a great dramatic actor. Like I'm thinking, like think of someone like Robin Williams, who again went on to win an Oscar or you get someone like Jim Carrey who, for a time there, had three or four movies in a row where people were talking like, hey, this guy could get nominated for an Oscar. Um, Jamie Foxx, another good example, won an Oscar. It's like these guys are comedy. And I think being that comedian gives them that little something else. They maybe aren't formally trained. They aren't, you know, a lot of actors go through improv and things like that. But to be a stand-up comic or to to be a comedian, like you have to have that time. You have to have that quick on your feet, like be ready for anything. And I think that these these comedic actors can bring so much more to a dramatic performance because they really know when to dial it up, when to dial it back and how to just, you know, take the wind out of the sails when they need to. And I think Hanks is a master at that. Like you see in this movie how good he is when he needs to be funny. But in the scenes where he needs to be serious, you take him seriously. And and I think, you know, this is this is a glimpse of the Tom Hanks that's going to come 10 years later when, hey, he's in Philadelphia, wins an Oscar. Hey, he's Forrest Gump. He wins an Oscar. It's like. It's an interesting point you bring up because it doesn't work the other way. You don't see a lot of dramatic actors suddenly being, hey, I'm going to do a comedy and do well at it. And I think it's because a lot of comedy comes from pain. So yeah. they can kind of tap into that. If, you know, just you had mentioned uh, My Favorite Year at the top there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's a great line in My Favorite Year. Peter O'Toole says that um, dying is easy. Comedy is hard. Yep. And like, it's, it's true. 
you know, so I, that's, you bring up a good point. But that's um, a quote. He, he references it. I, I honestly, I don't remember who it is. He references in the movie who said that it's a famous right. quote from somebody exactly. else that he's just repeating. So it's not his line, but he, no. he says it in the movie. Uh, Daryl Hannah. So she started off her movie career with a really small part in Brian De Palma's The Fury back in 1978. And she was in Blade Runner, which is a movie I know you like. That's one of your favorites. Yep. Um, she did Summer Lovers and then she did this movie. And she went on a star in movies like Wall Street and Steel Magnolias. And then she made a, a bit of a comeback, if you will, in Tarantino's Kill Bill movies. I mean, I think it was like after um, Travolta made that comeback in Pulp Fiction, it became like a thing for Tarantino to cast like like an actor from like older stuff in his movies. He did it with mm-hmm. Pam Greer and Jennifer Jason Lee and Robert Forster and stuff. I remember there's a friend of mine that lives in Minnesota and he knew Daryl Hannah somehow. I don't know how. And I guess she'd been up to visit him up in Minnesota before up at his ranch. And he, I remember he always said she was very quiet. She was almost like painfully shy in real life. And it's interesting because you don't always expect to hear that about famous Hollywood movie stars, you know? Well, um, so many of them start off in the, in the theater. You, mm-hmm. It's hard to be shy if you're a theater performer. Yeah, you know, and but I thought she was fantastic in this movie. I thought she was perfectly cast well i think i think she was cat i think she was a good casting choice because part of the whole myth of the mermaid is that the mermaid is supposed to be so beautiful that like sailors would would drive their ships into the rocks at the detriment of their own safety to 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 get closer to these these beautiful women so for the part to work you needed someone who you just couldn't take your eyes off of and she she looks fantastic in this which she's supposed to for this character as far as her performance, I thought it was fine. I, I didn't think it was over the top fantastic, but at the same time, I, it wasn't awful. But again, uh, she was easy on the eyes, so I, you know, I, I'll, I'll give her a lot of latitude. I thought the chemistry that she had with Tom Hanks was really, really, really strong. Yes, and I mean, she's playing a mermaid, <laughs> so I mean, that's, that's not easy to pull off. But yeah. I thought, I thought she was. It was like a real blend of her being beautiful, like you mentioned. But also, like, she has this, like, passion for life. Like, she loves Tom Hanks. And, but yet she's naive. And she kind of manages to take all these qualities and roll them into the part. I, I, I thought she was great in this. I thought she was really great. I thought she was good, not great. Yeah, I, I think she was the right. And, and we'll talk about some of the, uh, the other uh, actors that didn't get parts in a bit. Sure. So we'll come back to that because it's interesting. John Candy, I want to mention. I have mentioned this before on the podcast. And I think it's worth mentioning again. John Candy was such an amazingly unique person because people always remember him as being this like big, lovable, kind character. And he definitely brought all those traits into all of his roles. But the thing is, he also brought an edge to his roles. And I don't think anyone else could have quite pulled it off the way he did consistently, you know, and probably because he's just so likable and charismatic. But if you go back and you look back on most of his roles, whether it's Uncle Buck or, you know, in Stripes or even in this movie, he's always got a bit of an edge to his characters. I mean, like you think about it in this movie, he he looks up women's skirts. You know, he buys he buys stacks of penthouse magazines because his letter to the editor got published. The the letter was what was it like a lesbian no more? (laughs) Like, you know, and then later in the movie, he sneaks them into the lab by. He's talking to the sweet. He talks Swedish to the guards. He's what does he say? He says, "I got a." Yeah, <laughs> like, which he which he talks about how he, he's like you watch 
watch an uh, X-rated movie 400 times, some of right. the some of the dialogue starts to sink in. You know, so, so he gets away with this stuff because he was such a, a lovable guy. But he, oh, man, he, he was an incredibly unique talent, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. He he didn't have a huge filmography, and uh, but he had some exceptionally memorable roles. I did like him a lot in this. This is one of the things that when I was a little kid, like I would only been nine or ten when I saw this in the theater. That I, that really I thought was really funny as a little kid that he would drop the coins and look up the skirts, and then even as a grown up, he would still do that. And I mean, in the early nineteen eighties, that's exactly where my nine year old mind was. So I, I immediately identified with this character. So I liked him a lot. And when I watched it t- the other night here, that I, I really liked his character. He didn't have a lot of screen time. He didn't have a lot of scenes, but every scene he was in was gold. Eugene Levy, I want to mention too. So we obviously talked about John Candy being a unique talent, but so is Eugene Levy. Like, and obviously, you know, these two guys started out together on the Second City stage in Toronto, and then they moved on together to SCTV. These guys were like mega talents in the comedy world back in the late 70s and early 80s. And the thing was, SNL got all the attention, but SCTV was like 10 times better. It It was funnier, it was smarter than almost anything that we saw on Saturday Night Live, but... Eugene Levy is not your typical leading man. <laughs> you know, he's just not, right? No. But he's such a unique talent. I mean, I thought he was amazing in this movie. You know, he he kind of plays it like it's a cartoon character villain, but he's just so talented. I just, I think he just, uh, he just pulls you into every scene that he's in, you know? And then at the end when he turns good and he becomes kind of the hero, like it's, just, it's, it's still comedic. Like it's just all so great. I mean, I, I think Hollywood just never really knew what to do with the guy. You know, he went a yeah. long time without working, you know, and then he was in American Pile, uh, American Pie that you made me watch here on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's and Jim's dad. He, he kind of reinvented himself there as like the father f- character. Joel Flaherty from SCTV did that too, because yeah. he was in Freaks and Geeks as the dad. But for me, Eugene Flaherty, some of his best work was in a movie called Going Berserk. And also, remember all those mockumentary movies he made with Christopher Guest? Waiting for Gunman. Yes, yes. Especially best that in show. Best in show. Oh, wait, he was Jerry Fleck, the man with two left feet. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually have best in show on my PVR right now. I saw it in the lineup earlier this week, and I'm like, I got to watch that again. It's been a while. So you're a, you're a fan of Eugene Levy. What do you think of him in this movie in Splash? Uh, again, he, uh, you know, honestly, I wasn't, I'm not a big fan of like his earlier stuff. I, I sort of was a Johnny Come Lightly to Eugene Levy. Levy I sort of enjoyed his work when he was a little bit older and he was playing like, you know, the slightly older roles, like the American pie role, the best in show. And obviously like the newer stuff, Shit's Creek and things of that nature. Um, I, I, I find I enjoy his work more now than I did when he was, well, not that he was that much younger in this movie, but I, I, he's one of those guys that it just, eh, sort of hit or miss with me. And again, this one, I was sort of lukewarm. I thought, uh, he was just okay. Um, but I, I think part of that was the the role that they gave him. Like the, the the role is kind of ridiculous, and they didn't really necessarily give him a lot to do. So he sort of has to seem kind of goofy and over the top. But again, wasn't wasn't in love with it. So the 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 real theme, like I mentioned, was that sort of that fish out of water story, you know. Um, but the, we all we always say in order to properly understand these old movies, you got to understand the time that they came out. And the thing is, you go back to this time after ET came out in 1982. It was a, such a worldwide sensation. It was really popular for movies to not only include that fish out of water storyline, but, you know, 
Hollywood went to the well a lot on that. Like if you think about movies mm-hmm. like Back to the Future and like Big and Crocodile Dundee. Mm-hmm. And but Splash takes it a step further because it takes that concept fish out of water and it combines it with another really common Hollywood theme, which is star-crossed lovers. Yeah. You know? And this one just takes it to the extreme. Like, how can you have how can a man have a relationship with a mermaid? You know, I mean, he can't. I mean, although I guess her tail disappears when she's dry, so you know, they can like, the whole lovemaking thing's possible. Oh my <laughs> well, <laughs> And it's funny when I was watching this Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm about halfway through the movie and I'm making, I'm making some notes as I'm watching the movie. And I thought, what happens when it rains? Like, would she just turn into a mermaid? And then like 10 minutes later in the movie, it rains. I'm like, okay, I wasn't the only one who thought this. The script writers have this covered. Okay. Okay. Cause there's a few details in the movie. I was just sort of like, really? I made a little note of it. And yeah, the rain one was one that I made. And I'm like, Oh, then I scratched it, crossed it off. I'm like, okay, no, we're all good. (laughs) There you go. So we talked a little bit about alternate casting. So Let's talk about the Alan Bauer character. So before Tom Hanks was cast, the role had been turned down by quite a few different actors. So Derek, I'm going to run down a list. And you just tell me if you think they would have been any good in this role, okay? Chevy Chase. No. Bill Murray. Mm, 1983 Bill Murray? No. Dudley Moore. No, I don't like Dudley Moore. John Travolta was considered for this. Ooh, Travolta maybe. Yeah, I think he might have been okay. What about Michael Keaton? Yes, I think Michael Keaton definitely would have been good I think Michael Keaton would have been fantastic in this. Because part of the thing is, you have to believe that the mermaid loves the the actor. And and a lot of the the first few names you mentioned on that list, I'm like, I don't see a mermaid falling in love with 1983 Bill Murray. I'm sorry. I mean, I like Bill Murray, and I think he would have been funny, but... If the movie has to work. You have it has to be the lovable guy, and so yeah, I think I think Michael Keaton at that time definitely would have been able to pull that. Michael off. Keaton was then offered the role of Freddy, the brother, and he turned it down. I don't. And then know. he ended up doing Mr. Mom, though, didn't he? Yes. Wasn't that his yes. next one out of the yes. gate? So I, again, I think that was a good pickup for him. Yeah, I don't know how well he and Hanks would have played off each other if Hanks was the lead and he was the brother. Like they mm-hmm. were, they were very similar kinds of actors. You know, they were these high energy kind of comedic actors. I don't think they would have had good chemistry together. So yep. some other ones, uh, actors that were considered before Tom Hanks came on board were Jeff Bridges, Richard Gere, Kevin Kline, Burt Reynolds, Robin Oof. Williams, John Hurd, Christopher Reeve, and Robert Klein. And Steve Gutenberg also auditioned for the part. I thought he might have been actually pretty good in this. Well, I read that. that the, yeah. I read that he 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 auditioned, but they didn't take him. And then when they went to do Cocoon, he called him back because he liked them so much. And then that's how he ended up getting the part in Cocoon was because he didn't get it in this. He and right. he and Ron Howard clicked and, he, clicked. and and then Howard remembered him, right? Yeah, I got, I got something for you. So here's something to think about. So back when this movie came out, film critic Roger Ebert said that he thought the movie was miscast. Okay. He, th- he thought the lead role should have been played by John Candy. And the brother should have been played by Tom Hanks. That would have been a very interesting change of events. Yeah, he thought the the mermaid would fall in love with this overweight, lovable loser character and would actually be rooting for him throughout the movie. So what do you think? Think that would work? eh? I I think, again, I don't think the movie would have been as successful. But I think if you were to remake this movie today, you you would either switch the genders where the mermaid would be a merman and uh, or you would have the the whoever the person is that that the mermaid falls in love with is is not your typical 
you know, young, good-looking, happy-go-lucky. You make it someone who is otherwise, quote-unquote, rejected by society, somebody who, you know, is is overweight, somebody who has a disability. Maybe they were in a wheelchair or something of that nature. Like, I think that's how this story would be played off today. And I think you would need to do it that way to gain an audience. But I think had they switched these roles back in the 80s, I don't think the audience would have believed that the mermaid was falling for the fat guy. Sorry, John Candy, you're a lovable, lovable comedian, but I just I don't think it would have worked. I, I think it would have been interesting to watch, but I don't think it would have been a success. So for the role of Madison, Jodie Foster auditioned for the role. She was actually offered the part and then she turned it down because she wanted to appear in the Hotel New Hampshire. And Rosanna Arquette also auditioned, but she couldn't take it. Uh, Brooke Shields apparently turned it down because she, she was leaving acting and she wanted to go and study at Princeton. Mm. But before Daryl Hannah took on this part, uh, it was turned down by a number of other actresses as well. So I can do the same thing. I'm going to list some of these names of actresses that uh, that were offered the part. And you just know your thoughts on them. Hang on, let, let me, before you do that, mm-hmm. one of the things that really surprised me about this at first was the fact that they didn't show her breasts. And given that this was the 80s, I figured there was going to be a bunch of shameless boob shots and there were not. And I think that is good. I think that helped the movie then. And I think it certainly helped the longevity of the movie. I think if there was a lot of scenes of her walking around with her breasts hanging out. The movie would not have the like have a wide enough audience, right? Like it wouldn't be deemed appropriate for young people. And so I'm wondering when they were casting this movie, if that was part of the conditioning was did the performers auditioning know that there was not going to be nudity or was it like, well, there might be, there might not be, because I think that would weigh in on it. But let's assume that they were told straight up, you will not have to show anything you don't want to show. We're going to cover up all the parts. So I don't think nudity was ever part of the script because remember this was made by Disney when they were trying to like branch out and do a little bit more sort of mature films. This is that the, makes sense. That, that makes total one. sense. So they okay. didn't want to go too far over. And even uh, when Daryl Hannah got the part, like she, she covered up her breasts with like band-aids and stuff like that because she was mm-hmm. just so shy. I mean, you don't see anything. She's got the hair in the way, but she just didn't want anyone to see it. Okay, so I'm going to mention some names. Okay, run down the list. Let's see. Julia Louise Dreyfus. No. Melanie Griffith. Yes. Diane Lane. No. Tatum O'Neill. No. Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, how old would she have been then? I think she might have been a little. No, that was, she was still. Oh, no, was yeah, I 20s, think she could do it. Early 20s. Yeah. Sharon Stone. Was she well enough known at that point? Nope. No, she was unknown. But Daryl Hannah had a little bit of a resume coming into this, right? Yeah, like I say, she was in The Fury and stuff. Yeah, well, not much. I don't know. How about Catherine sure. Turner? Kathleen Turner. When did she do romance? She was in Romancing Stone, right? Yeah. In like the next year. Is that uh, the next year? Right around the same time. I don't know. I think, honestly, I think she probably would have been too good for the part. Yeah. No, I'm going to say no. Deborah Winger reportedly wanted to play this part, but Ron Howard didn't want to cast her. He probably heard Mm. she's so much of a pain in the ass. She didn't want to work with her. And also Lisa Welchel. I don't know if you know, know her, but... I don't even um, know who that is. So she was Blair on the Facts of Life. Oh, which was really yes, I read something about at the this. time. So yes. they considered her. And Tanya Roberts had auditioned for this, but she turned it down because she was too busy working on Sheena. And another person that was uh, almost cast was Ali Sheedy. 
Hmm. Interesting. That would have been interesting. And and at one point, yeah. apparently, Bill Murray and PJ Souls were almost cast as the the leads, but Bill Murray turned it down because hmm. they were in in stripes together. So another thing I thought was interesting was before this movie came out, Madison was not a popular name to give to right. a girl. In fact, it was a joke. Like, you know, they, they look up at the street name, which is named after James Madison, and then said, oh, well, that would be the name. It was a joke in the movie. But after this movie came out, the name Madison became very popular in North America. So if you know anyone... One of, my, one of my buddies has a daughter. Yeah, one of my buddies at work, his daughter's name is Madison. Well, you can trace it back to this movie. So uh, were there any scenes mm-hmm. in the movie that stood out to you that you really liked? I had a few that I thought were good. Um, So... Uh, one of the ones we sort of already mentioned a little bit about John Candy, uh, the scene where the where the brothers are playing racquetball, I thought was really good. Partly because I just liked how very 1983 it was. They're in the racquetball court. They're not wearing eye protection, right. which is obviously safety, which they would definitely be wearing today. He brings in a cooler full of beer. He's literally drinking the beer and smoking a cigarette in the court while they're playing, which I thought was hilarious. And then there's the scene where he serves and he bounces the ball off his head and he falls over, which I just love that scene. And and I read that, yeah, they did it in one take. So again, you you can't believe everything you read on the internet, but apparently the day they were shooting that scene, if if it's to believe, he shows up on the set and he's drunk. Like he's he's either drunk or hungover. I think he was still, still, yeah. And then, and of course they read the riot act when that was going on. He, he said he went into, out to the bar the night before, Nicholson. bumped into Jack Nicholson, and he's like, "How can I not accept a drink with Jack Nicholson?" And so it's like, "Okay." And then Howard's like, "You better like bring your A game today." And then they they went to do that scene, and they got it in one take, and they're like, "Okay, there we go." So no, I just I, I thought the scene was great, and I love the story leading up to the scene. And it, it, like you say, it dates the movie. Another thing that I thought dated the movie was at the very beginning when they're young kids and they're on that boat that's going out to Cape Cod, and the the mom catches Freddie looking up the women's skirts and she's like, Freddie. And he's like, I dropped something. And then she turns to the husband and she's like, Ralph, talk to him. And, and the husband just slaps him upside the head. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Like that was, that was something else. Um, and then when he grows up, I love the scene where uh, he's like, uh, all the, remember all the reporters are like mobbing them. And then, and then they're like, oh, we yes. want to get a question. And then he's like, is anyone here from Penthouse magazine? No, right. And, and we ain't talking. <laughs> Which I thought just made me laugh. I, don't, I thought it was funny. And then um, when 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 um, Alan is 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 telling Freddie for the first time about Madison, and mm-hmm. uh, and he's like, you know, like well, like what's going on with her? Like like this woman, she just shows up naked in this public place. Like, and then Freddie's like, well, I'm all for that, of course. <laughs> like, yeah, just, again, of course. So, so dated, right? Um, I also like the part when. When Eugene Levy is in the boat with the moron twins, and they're like, "We're not really twins," <laughs> and then yeah, 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 and then he's like, "They're like, you know, what are you doing? What are you looking for down there?" And he's like, "You know what I'm looking for? It's none of your damn business. That's what I'm looking for. Get out of the way!" And, he, and then they're like, "Let's pee down his air hose." <laughs> so I thought, yeah, I, I like that. Um, and then what else? Oh, there, there was a scene too when when she puts the salt in the bathtub. And then she grows her tail and Tom Hanks yes. comes home and then he's finally he gets in to the bathroom. He's like, why wouldn't you let me in? And she's like, I was shy. And he's like, you were shy after the car and the elevator and the bedroom and the top of the refrigerator. Top of the refrigerator. Yeah. Like, shy. Maybe he means like one of those big deep freezes. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to think how that would work. 
But, so again, uh, the script follows that typical Hollywood formula too that we've talked about before. Like boy meets girl, boy loses girl. In this case, when he finds out she's a mermaid and she gets captured and then mm-hmm. boy gets girl back, you know, when he like jumps yeah. in the ocean and starts to breathe underwater, I guess. But uh, um, did you know that there was a sequel to Splash? Uh, I, I knew that there had been talks about making one. Did they actually do it? They did. In 1988, they made a made-for-TV movie called Splash 2. And 2 of course is they did. T-O-O. Like Teen Wolf 2. Like Teen Wolf 2, which I also always call Teen Wolf also. Teen Wolf also. Yeah. yeah. So Splash 2 was a made-for-TV movie in 1988. It was starring Todd Waring. I have no idea who he is. And Amy Yazbeck. She was in movies like, uh, she was in Pretty Woman and Problem Child, probably best known for being married to John Ritter, you know. But, and then the, the, the sure. John Candy character, Freddie, was played by Donovan Scott. You probably, I have no idea know, him, you probably know him best from Popeye. Oh, he was Barbara in Police Academy. Remember Barbara in Police Academy? The overweight no. guy? I mean, and the only member of the original cast of the film that was in the, uh, the sequel was Dodie Goodman. Mrs. Stimler. Oh, I was going to say, but let me guess, Eugene Levy. No. Okay. Um, so the the dumb sequel notwithstanding, I thought this original movie was really good. I mean, is it a little bit hokey? Yeah, sure it is. It's, it's, but is it funny? Yes. Is it endearing? Yes. And for me, it's a big throwback to Gen X. You know, we have reviewed lots of Gen X movies here, but I feel like this movie is almost the perfect throwback movie. It's just so rooted in the 80s. Like the look of it, the sensibilities, the cast. It, to me, it just, it takes me back. And I think also there's a lot of Gen Xers like me out there who watch this movie over and over again on the movie channel and then for years on VHS. So I don't know. It's a good throw. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely rooted in the, it's definitely a product of its time. But unlike some of the problem movies, I didn't really have... I didn't really take a lot of issue with with sort of the things that made it dated. There were some, as we always talk about, the smoking is always a thing, but that that was that was just the way that it worked back then. One thing that I did sort of get a little bit of a kick at uh, out of was when they're talking about getting married and how they need to get a blood test. Does that do you still need to do that in the U.S. Get a blood test before you get married because you don't have to do that in Canada. In Canada, you don't. I don't know, but you're right. They did mention that. I don't think that's still a thing anymore. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just that was that was something that I was uh, sort of questioning. Again, it was a minor detail, so I wasn't going to sweat it. But um, the yeah. IMDb rating is six point three out of ten. What rating would you give it? Maybe a five and a half. Ooh. Five and a half to a six. I'd give yeah. it a seven. I, I didn't. I didn't love it. I'll go above. No, that. I, I'll I would definitely not go at that. Yeah, I'll go. Uh, a six on a good day, but a five point five probably most days of the I week. I thought it was a good comedy, and like I say, it was a real throwback to the eighties. It's. It, I thought it was pretty good. So, anyway, on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. So it was my movie pick. So the trivia segment is in your hands, Caveman. So, uh, so take it away. Well, uh, you know, around here, if something works, just keep doing it. So we're going to do a little game we like to call Pick the Flick. Pick the Flick. Yeah, pick the Flick. You get the synopsis, then pick the Flick. You get the year, pick the Flick. Oh, nice. So you give me the synopsis in the year, and I have to pick the flick, but what is the, uh, what's the common thread here? All right. So 
we we have done Tom Hanks movies in the past, so we've done a lot of questions about Tom Hanks. So that mm-hmm. was not a well I could go back to. So we're gonna go to Daryl Hannah. Right. I'm gonna give you the description of a movie she was in, the year it came out, and if you're you're stuck, I'll tell you the name of the character she played. I happen to have that written down as well. That might be um, good. These she are no no. She hasn't done a lot. Like I say, it seemed like she well, did some stuff back in the eighties and then just kind of disappeared for a while until she came out. And came well, out her, her IMDb is actually pretty extensive, but I, I figured you were not going to know a lot of her work from the last 20 years or even 30 years. So I tried to keep these more to the bigger hits that she was in, right? Mostly from the eighties, but again, she's, she's right. been in some bigger movies. So you may not have seen all of these. You may not even have seen all the ones from the eighties, but We'll we'll jump back and forth, new or sure. older. I got ten on the list here, and we'll uh, we'll see how many you can get. I uh, just I remember, okay. I, I really, like I think lot. you should too. In, in large part because, in all fairness, she was never really a, the lead in any of these movies, right? Like Daryl Hannah, if anything, was the leading woman in a movie that featured a guy. So the descriptions of the movies aren't going to really be like a pretty blonde woman does X Y Z. It's usually gonna be you know men blah 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 and then right. you're like oh she was the girlfriend kind of thing right so it's it's unfortunate that that's the way that hollywood has been but uh, that's that's it so with that in mind i think you'll get a lot of these simply because the movies are pretty well known right. so Sounds all right, without all right i'm just gonna ideas. grab a beverage for this as well so i'm gonna sit back okay and i'm gonna yeah. answer as many questions as i can lay them on me all right have a drink of that smart juice and we'll uh, we'll move forward all right first question from 1982 a okay. police officer must pursue four androids who stole a spaceship and have returned to earth to find their creator. Uh, that's blade runner. It is blade runner. And her character's name was Pris. Yes. Okay. Uh, all right. From 2003, after awaking from a four year coma, a former assassin wreaks vengeance on a team of assassins who betrayed her. Oh, that was kill bill. It was. She was in Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2 from 2003-2000. Yeah, her character was Ellie Driver. All right. 1986. A young Cro-Magnon woman is raised by Neanderthals based on a very famous book. Yeah, this was the Clan of the Cave Bear. Yes, it was, yeah. I was going to say, I definitely saw the movie. Did you ever read the books? No, but I remember seeing the movie. But it reminded me, to me, I thought it was kind of a ripoff of Quest for Fire. But Yeah, I always thought the same thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, her character's name was Ayla. All right. Uh, this one, a little tougher, but uh, again, I tried to pick movies that had a little bit of buzz around them. From 2000, okay. a non-glamorous portrayal of the lives of people who make their living at a strip club. That one you've stumped me on. I don't know. Yeah. She, she got a lot of praise for it. The movie is called Dancing at the Blue Iguana. And her character's almost, name was Angela. It almost sounds familiar, but yeah. It, I remember when familiar, it, it but, premiered yeah. at the Toronto Film Festival and it got a lot of good buzz. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, moving back into your comfort zone. 1986. A New York district attorney works and flirts with his adversary and her kooky artist client who was on trial for a murder she didn't commit. That was Legal Eagles. Yes, it was. Her character's name was Chelsea. Uh, All right. And I always love the theme song from Legal Eagles. Uh, 1987. A large-nosed man is in love with a beautiful woman, and she falls for his personality, but another man's looks. Oh, that's an easy one. That was Roxanne. 
That was Roxanne. And she played Roxanne. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, From 1993. Okay. A lifelong feud between two neighbors since childhood only gets worse when a new female neighbor moves across the street. She was in Grumpy Old Men, so it had to be that movie. That is exactly it. Yep. Okay. Yep. She was in that and the sequel, Grumpier Old Men, 1993-1995. Her character was Melanie. All right. She has been uh, a lot more stuff now that I start to think about it. Yeah. I, I always liked Daryl Hannah. I, I was yeah. in a soft spot for her. All right. Uh, from 1987, okay. a young and impatient stockbroker is willing to do anything to get to the top, including trading on illegal inside information taken through a ruthless and greedy corporate raider who takes the youth under his wing. I mentioned this one earlier. It's Wall Street. You did. Yes, it is. She plays Darren Taylor. All right. Uh, got two more to go here. I believe there's two more to go. Yep. Uh, from 1992. I know this is out of your comfort zone, but I think you might get this. 1992. After a freak accident, a company executive turns completely invisible, goes on the run, and becomes hunted by a treacherous CIA official whilst trying to cope with his new reality. Um... The leading man was a former Saturday Night Live alumnus. I don't know. What is it? The Memoirs of an Invisible Man with Chevy Chase. Oh, yeah. That was from 1992. I thought you might have seen that one. No, no, okay, I haven't seen that last one. Okay. From 1989, right on the cusp of your wheelhouse. Great. A young beautician newly arrived in a small Louisiana town finds work at a local salon where a small group of women share a close bond of friendship and welcome her into the fold. Oh, that was, I have not seen it, but I'm familiar with that. Steel Magnolias. Yes, it is. Yeah. All right. So you did pretty good on those. Again, I tried to. Tried to stick to the ones. She had a lot of stuff in the 2000s, and I'm like, even I hadn't heard of half of them. I was yeah. like, well, if I don't know them, you're definitely not going to know them. And she'd done a lot of, like, TV movie stuff. So it's like mm-hmm. I tried to pick just the, the ones where were, like, big Hollywood releases. So Yeah, I guess she did a lot more work than I thought. And I like I say, I always liked her. I thought she was really good. So I wanted to congratulate you again for taking home the Fonzie oh, like Trophy for your, your winning the the uh, the pop culture fantasy draft for 1983. Congratulations, my friend. That was good. Oh, so, thank you. Thank so you. next time we get together, it is over to you now to pick a movie from our draft year in 1983. You're going to do better than I did and actually pick a movie that took place uh, was well, released I, in 1983. It's funny so. you mentioned that. I'm literally just double-checking the release date of this movie just to make sure that I, <laughs> I, I don't want to you know fall on my sword again. All right. All right. So what do you want uh, us to come back and watch for next time? What have you got? Well, I really wanted to watch, uh, there was a couple of older comedies that I wanted us to watch, but I, I just, I couldn't find them. I looked at mm-hmm. all the streaming services. I even looked at all those ones you mentioned at the beginning. And it's like, if we can't find the movie, we can't review it. Like which ones so, are you thinking of out of curiosity? Well, I've never seen Dr. Detroit. And so I was God, looking for that one and I couldn't oh, find it anywhere. We got to do that. Um, but then I also looked at, there's a science fiction movie called Krull, which I did find on one of those streamers, but I watched the trailer again and went, ooh, that looks way worse than I remember it. So we're not going to go that down that road. That was the one road. with like, I remember it had like this blade thing that he threw. It was like a, was like a boomerang blade thing, Krull. It was like a five-pointed star boomerang <laughs> yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. So I mean, I may still watch that on my own, but I'm mm. like, nah, no. I think I'm going to go in the total opposite end of this. Instead of looking for something obscure that nobody's ever heard of, I'm going to go with the biggest movie of the year that everybody's heard of, that everybody's seen, honestly, because I haven't seen it in quite some time in its entirety. I want to go back and watch Return of the Jedi. Oh, wow. 
that's awesome, dude. Like, I mean, obviously the biggest movie, you know, of the year and stuff. And we haven't done a lot of Star Wars movies where we've reviewed them, you know, per se. We haven't done any. We haven't. We didn't do the, the you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back or anything like that. So this would be interesting. I think it'll be interesting to see how what what we think of this movie after all these years with all these like prequels and now all the the sequels and stuff. Yeah, that's a good pick. I think that'll be interesting. That, that's to go that's back part of. Yeah, it's part of why I wanted to watch it, and and partly because I've watched Star Wars more than fifty, less than a hundred times. Well, it's probably pretty close to hundred. I've watched Star Wars a lot. Empire Strikes Back. Every time it's on, when they do a, a Star Wars movie marathon, and Empire comes on, I watch it start to finish, no mm. question. Yeah. Jedi comes on, ah, you know, I'm like, well, I got something better to do, and I never actually sit down. I'll I'll catch scenes here and there, and. Honestly, I cannot remember the last time I literally sat down in one viewing and watched Return of the Jedi from the start to finish all at once. It's got to be more than 10 years. So I thought, you know what? Let's just do this right. Let's give ourselves the two hours and 11 minutes, sit down, watch it. And uh, I mean, there's a lot that's been said about this movie. So we'll try not yeah. to retread on all the right. things. Like my, part, of, part of what I want to do when we watch it this time is try and bring some new perspective to it. Sure. Try and try and talk about things maybe are, you know, the less obvious things to talk about. But um, I, I mean, we've both strong, seen it before. We both have a lot of strong it. feelings about that movie. So it should be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So let's come back next week. We'll, we'll watch Return of the Jedi. That's and uh, now, now I do want to make this caveat. You're not allowed to watch any other Star Wars things between now and then. That's fine. I want you to watch it on yeah. its own as a yep. standalone. Don't go back and watch Star Wars and Empire first because I know that's tempting. Gotta watch Return of the Jedi just on its own. And we'll come okay. back next week and talk. No, I can do that. So until next time, when we come back and do Return of the Jedi, this will be great. Uh, this is uh, Chris McBrien on behalf of myself and Derek Myers. I want to say thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.